We're starting a new series today, Deep Problems, Deeper Grace. I'm really excited about this series. It's going to be a four-parter. At least that's what I have planned at this point. And I think it really is going to be hard-hitting, and it'll be uh, helpful to each one of us. I want to begin in the realm of secular science and psychology in particular. There was a TED Talk by Barry Schwartz um, who talked about what we all assume to be true, that we're happier when we're free. We're happier when we're so free that we can choose whatever we want to choose. And that he, even though he's not a believer and he's coming from a secular psychology standpoint, he comes to some conclusions that surprises the audience, surprised me. He started talking about how this official dogma of our world, that the more choices we have, the more freedom we feel, the happier we are, the more fulfilled that we might be, he calls these things into question. He says, we just take it for granted, especially in uh, the affluent Western world. We take it for granted that uh, we have so many choices. We'll walk into a grocery store and we want salad dressing. Just think how many salad dressings we have to choose from. So we can pick the perfect salad dressing to be happiest of all. But have you ever been paralyzed in trying to figure out, well, which one do I want? Have you ever sat there and read the ingredients? There's all these choices. It's just almost overwhelming with more choices with how much freedom we have and the choices that we can experience. So he, he gets into this a little bit, even talks about how in our world, we've even bought into the idea that if we choose for ourselves anything, we can choose whatever we want. We can reinvent ourselves. We can reinvent ourselves every day. He even starts to show how we begin to think that our own identity is not something that we inherit. It's something we choose. Now, if that's uh, we, we've seen this. We've seen people think that, well, if I wake up, all I got to do is choose the right choice. And if I choose the right choice, I can remake myself today. I can become whatever I want. And we believe it. Is it true? Can we really reinvent ourselves? Towards the end of his short TED Talk, he surprises the audience with a cartoon. The cartoon is of a fish bowl, and two fish are inside the bowl, and the larger fish says to the little fish, you can become anything you want. You can do whatever you want to become anything you want. And it's almost humorous because you look at this stark, empty fish bowl, and it's like, what? What could this fish become? There's maybe if he had a larger fish bowl and more choices or something, you think. But his point then surprises us, and here's part of his quote. He says, if you shatter the fishbowl so that everything is possible, you don't have freedom, you have paralysis. The absence of some metaphorical fishbowl is a recipe for misery and I suspect disaster. Wow, I would have not expected such a conclusion from secular psychology because it sounds too much like those of us who believe that God has created protective boundaries for us. It sounds too much like God has designed us for his 10 commandments. And yet our thought process goes like this. No, we don't have 10 commandments. We can create for ourselves our own set of commandments. Do it yourself. 10 commandments. Come up with your own. Here's a hammer. Here's a chisel. Here's your slab of stone. What are your boundaries? Create your own boundaries as long as you have boundaries. But really what we're saying then is there are no boundaries. You can 
create your own identity. And he's saying, there's a problem with the multiplying out of all these choices. Wow, that is what psychology sees. And I believe that in our culture, even among believers, we're not seeing what science is seeing. And we're not seeing what theology is seeing either. We're starting to not think of our problems as any big deal. We've bought into a fuzzy view of Jesus where the good news is something like this. You can do whatever you want because we have grace. And as long as you just come to Jesus, he's died on the cross for you, the great news is you can just erase all that and do whatever you want again. And we know that is wrong, and yet I don't think we understand how deep our problems are. Are. And so this series is designed to help wake us up to deep problems. And once we see our deep problems, then we'll appreciate even more a much deeper solution, which is deep grace. Now, Jesus and the apostles, and since Jesus and the apostles, the teachers and preachers of old, they have used a methodology that is so effective, but somehow in our modern world of free choice is dropping by the wayside. And here's the methodology. The methodology is if you teach the commandments, you will actually lead people to a need for grace. Jesus taught the commandments, leading people to the need for grace. The apostles taught the commandments, leading people to, to understand their deep problems and needing more of the answer. On the screen, I'd like to give you a quote. When you can't see your own sin as a deep problem, that's a deep problem. How do we wake up to the problem? Well, we need to hear again from what God has revealed, the fishbowl, the parameters the boundaries, that outside of the boundaries God has determined is out of bounds. That if we break the boundaries, rather than feel fulfilled and more happy, we're going to experience a death of, and have a struggle. Wesley, Moody, Finney, Whitfield, Luther, and Spurgeon, and many of the ancient preachers, and still some preachers today, are faithful to teach the boundaries that lead us to our need for grace. The four parts that we're going to be looking at together in this series are, today we're going to look at waking up to the problem. The second week we're going to look at why profanity is a problem. And really what we're looking at is why all these things that we think are no big deal are really a big deal. We're picking out one of the Ten Commandments that deals with profanity. And then on week three we're going to look at expose the problem of pride. And then week four, one that you can't wait for, is lift the sewer lid. You're probably going to want to be there just to figure out why would I pick such an awful title as that. Those are the four we're looking into. If we're ready to go today, waking up to the problem. Point number one, God's commandments make us conscious of our sin. We'll jump right into where I got this from. It's directly out of Paul's thought in Romans, chapter three, verse 20, where he says, through the law, we're talking about the law of God, his commandments, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And so, if you've got the fishbowl analogy, 
If you have the boundaries clearly expressed, you're aware that outside of those boundaries is death and problematic. Inside of the boundaries is freedom and being fulfilled. And that's what we learn from the law. Only by recognizing that we have deep problems will we recognize our need for even deeper grace. And only when we have the deeper grace can we actually solve the deep problems. But we can't know that we need the deeper grace if we're not conscious of our sin. If we don't see a problem as a problem, we're in trouble. So we need to be teaching what God set up as the metaphorical boundaries, or in this case, the moral boundaries that he set up for us to function well. God's commandments make us conscious of our sin. Point number two, God's commandments are a schoolmaster leading us to Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. This word schoolmaster from the Greek is the word that sounds like pedagogue. It means tutor or guardian or schoolmaster. In the Greek culture, a child would be assigned by a wealthy family, a tutor, a guardian, a pedagogue, a schoolmaster to be in charge of the child's education, to take him to and from school, to make sure that he studies, to make sure that he learns. And what he's saying is that schoolmaster isn't a person for us, that schoolmaster was God's law. That God's commandments actually function as a person that takes us like a child in hand and brings us to the point of learning where we see our deep need and our deep need then causes us to recognize our need for grace and brings us to Christ. And so from a standpoint of the Bible itself, the old covenant, the entire old covenant is a schoolmaster that leads us to the new covenant and our need for a deeper grace even than the grace of the temple system that the old covenant offered to us. Teaching the commandments brings us face to face to a savior and our need for a savior. Now here's a frustration to me because I believe all across the evangelical believing community we believe that uh, we need a savior. But the efforts to teach that it is by faith alone has got us kind of all messed up in our thinking to think all we need is to believe that he is a savior and that we don't have to actually have to obey and work at anything, that just believe he's a savior and we'll be washed clean and we'll get to heaven. But he's presented it as a savior that doesn't just forgive us. He's a savior that sets us free, not just from the guilt of sin, but actually sets us free from the power of sin. And so we need the schoolmaster to lead us to Christ and the commandments to teach us to the, trust him in what he's teaching us about the boundaries. Now, we're going to be jumping into and dabbling a bit in the Ten Commandments uh, in this series along with other commandments that Jesus uh, taught to help us get there to a deeper grace. So the Ten Commandments, they show up in two places in Deuteronomy as it's the second reiteration uh, review, but when it first came out, it was God's voice, Exodus 20, 1 through 2, to the people. And 
in chapter 19. Boy, you need to read that. It just sets it up beautifully with just this powerful scene, earthquakes, the Mount Sinai, just lightning and thunder and the thunderous voice of God that scared the people so badly. They said, just don't let God talk to us anymore. Don't let God talk to us anymore. You be the one that mediate between us. But here we read when God spoke. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, what he's about to speak is the Ten Commandments. This is just the foundation for it. And in the foundation, we learn that they have already seen him in his power. They've already seen him do the ten plagues to the uh, constraining, domineering, tyrant Egypt that caused them to be slaves for centuries, and God released them with power. And he says, I am that God. I brought you out. I released you from slavery. I have been good to you. And now he speaks and he says, will you be mine? I will be your God. Will you be mine? And he sets it up this way. So before we begin with the commandments, we're ready for point number three. Obedience is the proof of grace received, not the cause of salvation. Obedience is the proof of grace received, not the cause of salvation. Now, knowing this is important, especially when we start to talk about commandments, because he's not saying, here's what you need to do to be saved. He says, I've already saved you. I've already pulled you out of the mess. And it's the same pattern in the New Testament as well. When Jesus died on the cross, he saves us, does what is necessary to save us. And then he says, will you be mine? And sets up the pattern for us to follow him and what that looks like with commandments. So verse three, commandment one, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse four, Commandment two, you shall not make for yourself an image. Then he explains in verse five, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What God is saying here is I deserve to be your priority number one. You dare not put anything else or anyone else or any other worship object as your priority. I am your priority number one. Now, is he asking too much? Is that asking too much of us? Absolutely not. There's a parallel between this covenant that God teaches us about when he set us up and designed us for a family unit that is held together by a marriage covenant. In a marriage covenant, can you imagine if, if I were to ask, I'll just uh, uh, make it vague, if anyone were to ask somebody to marry them, And that person who uh, is responding to that request then says, I'll marry you if, as long as I can reserve the right to at any time I want to, whenever I want to, play the field. Run! Red flag! Run! You may think you're in love with that person, but you need to get away from that person as fast as possible. Do not marry that person who thinks it's perfectly okay to, at any point in time, play the field. And God is saying the same thing. I will be your God and you will be my people, but you need to understand this covenant thing. It will only work if I am holding the center of your devotion. You see, there's something God knows about us. God knows something about us that we are blind to without revelation. God knows that we function best when we love him most. And this is by design. If you love anything else 
more than God, then we start to have trouble. Here's another quote that talks about that. We want total freedom to choose whatever we want, whenever we want it, but this would require breaking free from his commandments. Do this, and we are like dying goldfish flopping in the glass of shattered boundaries. That's what we're talking about here. Let's jump into commandment two a little bit more deeply. Verse four. You shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That sounds weird, doesn't it? We always think of jealousy as a sort of madness that somebody has because they're kind of an egotistic person with, that's controlling. And, and well, that's not what God is describing. But this is an attribute of God, so I'm bringing up a theological description of what this attribute looks like. On the screen... This attribute is to be understood not as an envious egotism of any sort, but rather a firm insistence upon exclusive commitment to the Lord himself. Because of his deep love, the Almighty insists that no other loyalty or attraction to any rival suitor of the believer's heart will ever be tolerated. couple other quotes to just help us move along here. The idol you shape will shape you. That's why idolatry is so wrong. You can shape a God into whatever you want it, that God, and it's really you're deciding what is to be worshipped. You're deciding, this is what I like, this is what I want. And the idol you shape will shape you. The sin of idolatry is when we shape a God to fit us rather than shape ourselves to fit God. God is the only fixation, you've heard me say this before, God is the only fixation that can actually fix us. Any other fixation will misshape us. And then uh, here's a, another thought to move us along. Sin isn't only doing bad things. It is more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Did you notice that? It's not bad things, it's good things that are out of whack in terms of priority. Good things into ultimate things. Only God is worthy of your worship as the ultimate thing in your life. It is sin to build your meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. This is what the two commandments that set up the tone for the rest of all the commandments as teaching us about what God is like and what will make us function the best. I want to finish today in a passage from a prophet. And in that passage, uh, God says some devastating words to the people who have turned their backs on him. He says they're spiritually committing adultery. They are faithless. He's done so much for them, and he can't believe that this is taking place. It's almost sounding like a person, but he, he's just says devastating truth about them. But then the surprising words are here in, in Jeremiah 3.22. So first he describes the deep problems and then with one statement describes a deeper, deeper grace that flows out of his character. He says, return, faithless people. I will cure you of backsliding. And then the people respond to that love. 
He is faithful to them even when they've been faithless. And he's offering a cure that they can't seem to pull off for themselves. And he's going to cure them. And so the people actually respond with this one sentence prayer. Yes, we will come to you. For you are the Lord our God. I hope that we can just pause right there. I'm going to take a moment of silence and allow you to pray that prayer. The commandments reveal inside of us that there are good things in our lives that we've put too much attention on and now our heart's devotion is centering around these good things even more than it's centering around God himself who is the ultimate thing. If he is the center, he puts everything else in the right order. If anything else is the center, everything gets off kilter. The orbit is all off kilter and God isn't central so even the good thing becomes a bad thing and we start to fall apart like fish flopping in the glass, dying as we're gasping with our last breaths. Spiritually, we're apart from God, and he's saying, I have a cure for you. Return to me, but we have to identify it. And so with this identifying it, we come back. This is what the Bible calls repentance. Yes, we will come to you. I will turn from that thing which is pulling me away from you and I will return to you. You are the Lord, our God. And then he can respond and begin to wash us clean and bring a cure. Let's pause and let you pray that for a moment and then I want to wrap up with a couple of thoughts. Deep problems, deeper grace. I won't have time to look into all of the Ten Commandments in the detail that they deserve to help us understand the moral boundaries that help us understand who we are and who God is and what he's like and what he appreciates and what really is a beautiful life. But I want to point you in a direction if you've established that 30-day challenge, everyday faith pattern that you've done with us, I want you, if, if that is working for you, to look at the YouVersion uh, Bible app. There are two reading plans on the Ten Commandments, and they go through each one. The two different perspectives. You can do one back-to-back during this series. I encourage you to do so. And in that, you're going to come face-to-face with all those commandments while we are going parallel with that with some other ideas. So I hope you'll come back and join us next week as we take a look at deep problems, deeper grace, and how we minimize stuff, thinking it's no big deal, and it's really a big deal. Deep problems, much deeper than we realize, and we'll be jumping into that next week. Hope you'll be back. Can't wait to see you then. God bless.